we've been looking at these stories, these parables, and a reminder that a parable is a fictitious narrative by which either the duties of men or the things of God are portrayed. And, and Jesus has been teaching us these life-changing truths in these parables. And in the last few times we've been together, we've heard about the return of the Son of Man. And this morning we continue in Matthew 25, starting with verse 14. Jesus uses these, these parables to point to the coming of the heavenly kingdom at the end of the age and the urgency that each of us should feel to make certain we are prepared. Verse 14, Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. Back in the day it was common for servants to act as a landowner's agents. If the landowner was away, they would work the land, sell the produce, they were empowered to use monies that he had given them for trading. In addition, they would receive part of the profit. And Jesus says, to one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. And in those days, a talent was not a coin, but rather a weight used as the basis of, of monetary exchange. And it's possible that one talent of gold in, in our day would be equal to $1.5 million. But this is what you remember. A talent is a value. And, and Jesus says there in 15, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. The master knows his workers. He knows their strengths. He knows their successes. He knows their, their business acumen. He, he knows their challenges. And in the same way, God knows each one of us and has outfitted each of us accordingly. The master gives. The master gives with intent. The master has expectations. And the master has expectations of all, regardless of what has been distributed. And at the end of 15, the master goes on the journey. The master has given, the master has given with intent, and the master has given with intent and has expectations, and then he goes away. Jesus says immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents immediately. And, and you will have that word or one similar there in your texts, but that word is not in the original language, but it is associated with the word, the verb for, for went. Uh, when, when the man leaves, the one, when the one with the five leaves or he departs, he does it immediately. And, and the reason I point this out, when you leave, you're supposed to go. And you're supposed to go immediately. And that's what the man with the five, the servant with the five, he does. He, he doesn't hang around. He's moving with intent. And we see that this one with the five is intentional both in his going and his doing business with the five. And he doubled what he had. <laughs> That's a fantastic rate of return, I would say. There was no humming and hawing. No, well, we'll just wait and see. There's proactive intent. There's proactive intent with the resources, the initiative, the opportunity. Proactive intent with the responsibility ultimately to the man, to the landowner, the master whom he serves. You see, when you think about talent, it's not only what you have, 
It's also the opportunity to do something intentional with it. It's what you have, but it's also what you do with what you have. And Jesus says in the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. So in the same manner, immediately, immediately the one with the two goes out, leaves, departs, trades with them, and gains two more. Again, a fantastic rate of return. (laughs) And I wonder, this is not in the text, it's just pure conjecture, but I could see the one with the two. Maybe maybe he's a bit of a scrapper. Maybe he likes to kind of mix it up and, and... and maybe he has something to prove to the one with the five, you know. Uh, that's our nature, isn't it? That's certainly our nature. Uh, a little competition is never a bad thing. It keeps everyone accountable. It, it raises the game of every player. When I play with great musicians, it, it certainly ups my game. And the one with the five, now the ten, maybe he's thinking, ooh, I better watch out, this one is hot on my heels. We don't know that, but we, but we do know this. There's proactive intent with resources, with initiative, with opportunity, and possibly a bit of a challenger. Proactive intent with responsibility ultimately to the man, the landowner, the master who, whom he serves. And then we see this in, in verse 18, Jesus says, But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So the one with the one, the one with the one goes away. He goes away and digs a hole in the ground. There's no proactive intent or drive. There's no willingness really to make even an attempt to do any kind of investment. All of his effort is spent digging a hole wasting the talent and, and wasting the opportunity. And, and one writer said it this way, the very presence of the opportunity brings with it a sense of responsibility. I think that's stated very clearly and very well. And another writer wrote this, that limited opportunities, you know, he had one, he didn't have the five, he didn't have the two, but the limited opportunity, that does not condone neglect. This last servant was expected to do something with what he has been given. It's not five talents, it's, it's not two talents, but that's not the issue. He's supposed to be responsible, and, and all he did was dig a hole. Jesus says that now after a long time, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. We're not sure how long the time was. The text does not specify, but it was evidently some significant length. And maybe it was a return that was unannounced. The master couldn't dial up the cell phone and say, I'm on my way, I'll be there at five. He couldn't send a text. He was unannounced, but he was not unexpected. He was unannounced and unanticipated possibly for that day, but he was not unexpected. And what happens, Jesus says, the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents. And, and it's saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. It, it's show and tell time. The, the one with the five, he comes to the master. Hey, check this out. Do, do you hear the tone of what he says to the master? See, see, look at what I've done. He's proud of what he's done, and, and he wants to show the master. 
And the master says to this one with the five, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done. Good and faithful servant, you were faithful with a few. I will put you in charge of many. Enter in to the joy of your master. The servant is joyful. The master is joyful. And they share in this joy together. Jesus says in verse 22, Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, see, I've gained two more talents, and it's show and tell time for him. And, and the one with the two, he comes to the master, Hey, check this out! And you can hear the tone in what he says to the master. See, look what I've done. He, he's proud. He wants to show the master. He wants to show the master. And this is what we have to keep in mind about the one with the two. He's working with less, lesser talent, but not lesser work or drive or intent. He's confident and he's full of joy. And the master says, well done. Good and faithful servant, you were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done. Good and faithful servant, you were faithful with a few. I will put you in charge of many. Enter in. Both servants were successful. Both servants were good stewards, even as the mounts which they were given were not the same. And you can see in the text the, the love and the respect that both of these servants have for the master. They want to do well. They, they've worked hard. They've gotten after it. They want to please the master. And, and when he comes, they both say, look at, look at what we've done. Look at what I've done. Serving with joy. Isn't that what it should be about? See, look, look at what we've done. They're proud of what has been done, and they want to show the master. When our kids were small, on the final night of vacation Bible school, they, they'd come home, each of them with a bag of crafts that they had worked on that week. And, and Kim and I wanted to see them, and we thoroughly enjoyed each item made and displayed, and, and, and the kids were proud, and so were we. And, and as they've grown in age, and they've grown in scope of interest... We're excited to see all that they show us. And, and that's how the Heavenly Father feels about us. Did you know that? Regardless of, of how far we might have strayed from Him, He wants us to run to Him joyfully. And, and what's more, these, these first two are working responsibly the whole time. They are knowing the Master will return. They're serving joyfully. And they were actively waiting in hope, expectant for his return. And they were ready. And I believe their joy in serving is a reflection of the relationship which each of them has with the master. I want you to think about that, and I'm going to say that again. I believe their joy in serving is a reflection of the relationship which each of them has with the master. Do we serve joyfully? Is our Christian service driven by devotion or duty? It's a, it's a reasonable question. Well, then the last servant comes forward. Jesus says in verse 24, The one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. <laughs> did the servant 
just insult the master twice? <laughs> master, you're a hard man. And immediately, immediately we get a glimpse of this one's relationship with the master, don't we? You reap where you don't sow, and you gather where you scatter no seed. Basically, you're a hard man and you're a thief who takes what doesn't belong to you. Oh my. And I was afraid and, and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. He could have said it like this. Basically, <laughs> because this is how I see you, Master, it's your fault that I did nothing with what you gave me. You only gave me one. So here it is. The blame game. The, the, talent, the talent is wasted. The opportunity gone. And here's something else. The time... The time which was given to use the talent and the opportunity, the time is lost. Talent, opportunity, and time. Whoosh, gone. The master answers and says to him, You wicked, lazy servant. You, you knew, you knew you say that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Whereas we, we heard earlier, well done, good and faithful servant. That's not the case here. You wicked and lazy servant. You, you knew you say that I reap where I did not sow and, and gather where I scattered no seed. He repeats the servant's accusation regarding his character. Wicked. Wicked for calling the master a thief. And, and Jesus says the master replies there in verse 27, Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. You, you could have at least done that much. As a matter of fact, <laughs> that would have taken a whole lot less effort than digging the hole. You know, this one is all about the economy of effort. <laughs> the master says, therefore, take away the talent from him. Give it to the one who has the ten. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, and as we've seen, as we've seen in, in recent weeks, there is a separation between the faithful and the wicked. The wicked will be cast into the outer darkness. There's no entering in to the joy of the master here. There's no joy. There's, there's no hope. Verse 29 Jesus said that everyone who has more shall be given and he will have an abundance. And with that abundance should come an understanding. There's a well-known phrase. Winston Churchill said it, and he wasn't even the first one who said it, but Winston Churchill said it in the 20th century. And then a few years later, it's one that many of us learned from that much-beloved character Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. The, the privilege of having talents and having those opportunities, it's not just a privilege, it's a responsibility. And this applies to all of us as individuals, as, as a church. One can't help but read this parable and ask the question, which servant am I? And maybe, maybe we think, well, I don't have five talents. And maybe we get hung up there. But I personally think that that's why the one with the five is in the parable. There's always someone to whom we will compare ourselves. 
There's always going to be, in the Westerns it was always, there's always going to be a faster gun, right? In the same way, there's always one who's going to have more than we have. And we're not to play the comparison game. We're, we're not to keep up with the Joneses. Let's say that we have the two talents. How are we investing our gifts, our our blessings, our talents, uh, our opportunities in regard to the things of God. Are we making the most of those? Are we proactive in our intent? Are we plugging along diligently? Are we joyfully serving? Are we hopeful in our waiting for the return of the Master? What about that servant with the one? Can we identify with, with, with that servant I mean, do we ever feel that way? Do we ever feel left out or feeling like we've been sized up incorrectly? You know, you don't think I'm worth the five or the two, and all I've been given is the one. Lord, if you'd only given me that or given me this opportunity, always an excuse. You see, with all of these, it's a statement about the heart. And that's what makes this parable different when Jesus shares this. It's about the heart. What kind of heart do we have for the master? How do we relate to the master? Are we like the first two? Are we confident in our relationship with the master? Or like the last servant, do we have an incorrect image of the master? Do we have a distorted picture? Do we make incorrect assumptions regarding the character of the master? Maybe we've looked at those servants who have the five or those with the two and and maybe we've become disappointed and cynical with our one talent. And, And we pout, well God I believe you're this way or you're that way since you didn't do what I think you should have done. So I'm going to have this opinion of you, and I'm going to think this way. And, and so here's what you gave me, and since I didn't get the five or the two, I'm going to give you the one back. It's yours. Maybe we've lost our joy in serving. Maybe we've forgotten our source of supreme joy. Maybe we've allowed our expectant hope to erode because we've forgotten why we're waiting. We don't know. We, we know the master's gone, and he's going to return, we, we guess. <laughs> but we just don't know when. And, and maybe we start living like the master will not be returning any time soon. That's why Paul tells us in the book of 1 Thessalonians not to be like those who have no hope. We're to remind each other that the Lord is returning. We're to comfort one another with joy and with hope, serving joyfully, waiting hopefully. Are you serving with joy or are you waiting with hope for the return of the Son of Man? I've I've asked you the last few weeks, are you ready for the return of the Lord? This is how you know. Do you feel conviction about your sin? We're all sinners. Every one of us. And, and the Lord has, has to be allowed to deal with our sin. Jesus taking our sins to the cross, he, he gave us His righteousness. The righteousness required for us to stand before 
a holy God. And we need the righteousness of the Lord because we're all sinners. We're all sinners. And the price, the wage of our sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus dying on the cross paid the price of the wages of our sin. God showed us His great love. As I've told you this for weeks, out of Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God showed us His great love by sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. We didn't have to get ourselves ready. Jesus is the one who deals with the sin. But we've got to confess it. And and if you and I can come to the place that we understand that as sinners we deserve death and and we need a Savior, and we can step past our pride and, and trust in Jesus being the only one who could die for us. If we confess our sin and our need for Him, if we trust in that, we have the belief, we have the faith that Jesus can pull this off we can have a relationship of peace with God. Are you serving with joy? Are you waiting with hope? Let's pray together. Lord, you've communicated so very clearly that you are in the the business of reconciling man to you. You've given us your son who is the one who makes a way for that to happen. And you've communicated very clearly in your word that your son is going to return. You, matter of fact, you have in Matthew chapter twenty-four, verse fourteen, you communicated so clearly that the gospel is going to be preached as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. It all boils down to that. It all ends. The King of Heaven will return, and you have told us so clearly in your Word that we need to be ready and that we can be ready, and you've shown us how to be ready. We're thankful for Jesus and the difference that he makes in life now and in eternity. It's in his name we pray. Amen.